and take your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. I'll read verse 57 to 62. I'm going to be a lot of different places today, so I hope you can bear with me on that. It came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, that is, Lord, that is Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee. I want you to note that I will follow thee. So this guy comes up and says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. That's big. I would be noble if you come up to Jesus and said, Lord Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go, wherever it is, whatever circumstance you find, I'm with you. I'm with you, Lord, with you. That's noble. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds, have air, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not to, where to lay his head. And he said unto another one, now this is Jesus saying unto another one, Follow me. And he, but, but the guy said, Lord, the guy said, that's not in the Bible, but he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. That, that's noble. I'm going to bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God importance to burying your father. There's something going on here. My dad was dying in hospice. And my two brothers were here. Three of We were all here. Family was here. And I got the word. I was, I was scheduled to preach on Sunday night. And I got the word that my dad would probably pass away that evening. And I told my wife, the kingdom of God or my dad? And I preached that Sunday night. And as I preached that Sunday night, during my preaching, he died. And I said, just don't take him out after the service was over. I jumped in my truck, drove up to the hospice place, and he was still there body-wise. He was gone. And just, you know, knelt down beside the bed, put my hand on him and prayed. And thank God for a good dad. Thank God for a dad that loved me and loved the Lord Jesus Christ, was a witness for Christ, and, and did what right. But if I'd asked my dad, should I put the kingdom of God or you first? He said, son, put the kingdom of God first. And another said, Lord, I will follow thee. That's the second one that came up to him and said, I'll follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell which are at home at my house. Now, that's noble. You're getting ready to leave for like a year, two, maybe forever. It's not a, it would not be a real unreasonable request to go back and to say, I want to go back and say goodbye to my mom and my dad and my aunts and my uncles and my grandpa and grandma if they're alive and all those people, my brothers and sisters and all that other stuff. I want to say goodbye to my people. It wouldn't be an unusual request. And, and it wouldn't really be an unreasonable request. But Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow, and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is saying goodbye to your mom and dad. I've seen a lot of people come and go in life, and I've seen a lot of people put their personal stuff above God's stuff. And God's stuff and the kingdom of God, it comes down here in a lot of their decision-making. 
A lot of their decisions. I'm seeing it among our missionaries. Well, some of the missionaries are back home so often that if I left you people that much, you'd fire me and get you a good guy. And that's my message to our missionaries. Stay on the field. That's where God called you. That's where the lost people are. You cannot be replaced. You're there. You're God's man. Many times in positions, but yet I'll notice when their mom and dad get sick or even grandpas get sick or grandmas get sick, grandmas or whatever, and they die. and every, They're back in the United States, seven, eight, ten thousand, fifteen thousand $15,000 flights back and forth to go to the funerals. Personally, I think this passage addresses that. No man having put his hand to the plow, and I want you to underline looking back. Looking back. Title of the message this morning could be How to Keep Your Hands on the Plow. Or it could be titled How to Keep Your Heart in Plowing. How to Keep Your Heart in Plowing, or How to Keep Your Hands on the Plow. And not look back. Because that's not a challenge to some old ancient people that came and went. That's a challenge to you and me this morning. If you're a born-again believer and you've trusted Christ your Savior and you're a recipient of the Holy Ghost been sealed by God on the day of redemption, looking for the adoption of sons, which is a redemption of your body, and your name's written down in the Lamb's Book of Life by the grace of God through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're part of the kingdom of God just as much as Peter was part of the kingdom of God. And just as much as anyone mentioned in the Bible was part of the kingdom of God, you're part of the kingdom of God. And God expects stuff of us. And he wants us to survive. You know, I have in my notes here, looking back is not the same as going back. When you put your hands on God's plow, basically God does not force you to be saved. He invites you to be saved. He shows you that you're a sinner unable to save yourself, and eventually you're going to have to answer for your own sin before him after great white throne judgment unless you receive his free gift of eternal life and forgiveness of sins by repentance of your sins. That's, a, that's an attitude of turning away from your sins and life of sin and turning to Christ in faith. It's not works but it's faith in what he did, the finished work of Christ. And when you do that, he says, based on that decision, I will seal you and give you the Holy Ghost. You'll be born from above. You'll be born again. I hope you're born again here this morning. Now, if you're not born again, you may say you're born again, but you're not sure of it, and you wonder about it. But if you're born again, you know you're born again. You're born. If you have, How many here this morning have their driver's license? Raise your hand. How many here should not have their driver's license? Never mind. You didn't, you didn't go like this when I asked you whether you had your driver's license. I Maybe. Maybe I got my license. Well, if you said maybe, don't drive. I ask people, you know you die, you're going to heaven. Well, I hope so, preacher. My brother, you got to get that nailed down. You better nail that down. You say, well, I'm young. Being young don't mean anything. There's a lot of young people buried in the, in the grave in the uh, whatever that place is they put people. (laughs) 
Oh, I think today is going to be crazy. This is going to be crazy. So, when God tells us to put our hands on the plow, voluntarily you chose Jesus. He said, if you choose me, keep your hands on the plow. But he adds something. I don't want you if your heart's back there. If your heart's back there to what you got saved from, what you got saved out of, you're not fit. And the word fit means worthy of the salvation that I've provided for you. That would be Jesus saying. You're not fit. You're not worthy. The salvation is more noble than you're giving it credit. More noble than you're willing to sacrifice if you look back. Don't be looking back. Don't be looking back. You remember, and I'm getting ahead of myself. I knew I was going to have trouble with this message. You remember Lot's wife. You remember Lot's wife. Jesus warns us, remember Lot's wife. Now, she was insignificant, pretty much insignificant. One woman out of zillions of women that have come and gone, and yet we don't know her name. We just know her relationship to her husband. Remember. Lot's wife. Most of you know the story. Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. Lot and his wife and two daughters were in Sodom and Gomorrah. They had other children. They had already married and been out. The angels come in and say, we're going to destroy the city. We come out to take you. Go gather all your family. Well, you can tell how well he had reached his family, amen, how well his family had been reached. I'm not going to blame Lot for that. They had opportunity. They knew about God. They chose that they would rather stay in Lot and stay in Sodom than to go with their religious, wacky dad and mom who were telling them the thing was going to be destroyed. And so they wouldn't come. They only had, eventually had just two daughters and angels. And then they messed around, messed around, and eventually the angels, and this was the compassion of God. The angels grabbed them. One angel grabbed two of them, and the other angel grabbed two of them. And basically, if, if I, it just drug them out of the city. Now, the Bible doesn't say dragging them, but I just got a feeling that I used to have goats. If you've ever had goats, I had these goats, and they have horns, right? And so I grab my goat by the two horns, and I want him to move. And as soon as you grab him by the two horns, he puts four feet down the opposite direction you want to go. And if you get behind him and try to push him, they put four feet down and, and, and resist you in every direction. And stubborn as an old goat. Somehow I feel like these out there. Why was it hard for them to leave this wicked? In fact, God used Sodom and Gomorrah as an example of ungodliness. In destroying it, he made an example for all time of his feeling toward people who were doing the things that were going on in Sodom. By the way, Sodom, sin was not just immorality, not just homosexuality, not just transvestitism, not just uh, adultery or fornication. It was that they were, they were idle, they were full of bread, and they didn't care for the poor. Then other thing, Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, I think is where you find that. And so, they, 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 why would they struggle? Because they may have had their hands on the plow, but their heart was in Sodom. 
And the angels, by God's mercy, drug him out. And he gave one commandment, just one commandment, just one thing. Don't look back. What you are being saved from, don't with admiration and desire and affection look back on. Don't listen and be part of the old junk that was taking you to hell. So they're on their way out. And something in the heart of this woman, I know she had kids back there. But let me say this to all you women. This is Jesus. This is your kids. Are you with me? This is Jesus. This is your kids. Don't you put your kids above Jesus. It's idolatry. Don't give me this pseudo loyalty thing that I'm loyal to my kids. If you're not, you better be loyal to Jesus way before, or it really shouldn't even be contradictory. But you know, oftentimes people choose their kids over Jesus. I had, uh, uh, I won't, I'm trying to be careful here what I say, but I had an individual that whose child wanted to be a missionary in Africa, and this individual was trying to talk his child out of becoming a missionary to Africa because they didn't want to lose their children. He said, but you got four grandchildren, and I won't be able to see my grandchildren, and I, they won't ever be here because you'll, be you'll be in Africa, and, and I'll be here, and we're not going to be able to afford to go back and forth. And, I, and I'm thinking, and, and he's trying to talk to what was he doing? He was putting his kids above the call. I called him and said, you quit that. Your son has a call of God to go to Africa and to give his life and to give his children and to give his world for the cause of the kingdom of God. You quit me with a selfish motivation of seeing your grandchildren or having an influence with your grandchildren or whatever you want to come up with over the kingdom of God. Shame on you. By the way, the, the man went to, went to Africa with his four kids. And every one of those missionaries on the back of the board that have children had to make that same sacrifice. And they had to put Jesus above their mom and dad, Jesus above aunt and uncles, Jesus above, man, oh man, we're living in a family, 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 family thing. We've talked so much about family, they've made family above God. Don't you do it. Now, there's nothing wrong with being good to your family and right to your family, upright with your family, and all that is, is harmonious with serving God. But when it, sometimes, once in a while, God's going to find out where your loyalties are. Yesterday, he, I, he, God tested me. It's interesting how God comes by with a test. Out of the blue, not expecting it, not thinking about it, I went and bought a gun yesterday. For you that don't like guns, there are lots of other good churches. <laughs> now, we don't mind you coming here, but just don't knock guns. So I bought a gun yesterday, and the guy wrote the price of the gun up. I paid for it with my Apple Watch. He said, man, you can pay for stuff with that thing? I said, yeah, man, you just click this. It's like free money. 
And, and I clicked that, and he goes, wow. I know you're back on. He gave me the receipt. I always get a receipt. I got the receipt and looked at it, and I go, in my mind, I see the number. I'm not telling you what the number was. Yeah, I see the number, and it's 100 bucks less than what he told me the gun was priced. 100 bucks. I thought, huh, that's a Christmas discount. That went through my mind. So I said to the man, um, did you give me a discount from the original price we agreed on? And he said, no. I said, yes, you did. It's 100 bucks less. He looked at that and he goes, wow. I made a mistake in typing it up. Thank you so much. I was tested. You mean I'm 70 years old, having walked with God since 18 years old, and God's still testing whether I'm honest? I thought to myself, I passed. My wife didn't, but I passed. No. <laughs> she, she, she passed. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm about 99% certain that if I wouldn't have said anything, she would have said something. But being discreet as she is, she would have come to me privately and said, by the way, you know, there was a $100 mistake in that, in that price, right? Rather than telling the guy, hey, my husband may not, but here's a hundred, but no, don't, don't do that. Man, I hope that you get this message real good today because this is really important what I'm talking about. It's the difference between you prospering and being happy and having contentment and having joy over just existing. That's the difference. Because if you got your hand on God's plow and mission and, and you got your looking, you're looking back to the old stuff back there, you can't be happy. Because didn't Jesus say a kingdom divided against itself will do what? You'll love one, hate the other. You'll despise one, cling to the other. That's what he said. And so there's no way you're going to be able to juggle loyalties with God. And God knew that. And he said, if I save you, you need to follow me. And that doesn't mean just follow him. That means be your all in. You're 100% by the grace of God with loyalty, willing. But, oh, I pray, I pray this prayer. Lord, help me to be faithful unto death that you may give me the crown of life someday. That's what he wanted to tell one of the seven churches. Be faithful unto death. How much is God going to ask of you? All the way to death. That's how much he's going to ask of you. How much is gonna ask, he's going to ask of you? Everything this world offers you. Jesus in Luke chapter 21, he gives the signs of the second coming. There's going to be lots of bad things going on. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. In verse 20, in Luke 21, 9, he says, Be not terrified, for those things must first come to pass. Before the tribulation period comes, the rapture of the church, tribulation period, and the second coming of Christ, there's going to be, now look where he's at. He's probably teaching this around 30 A.D., and he's looking forward down through the history like you'd look at a, a movie. You're looking down through history. And he's seeing 70 A.D. where Titus, the general of Rome, comes in and he puts a wall all the way around Jerusalem so nobody will escape so that he can kill everybody. That's the way the Romans did it. 
and they took the city of Jerusalem and raised the city. Raised the city, you young people, does not mean raise it. It means destroy it. I know the English is crazy. But uh, he destroyed Jerusalem and, and polluted the temple, and it was there. And, and he went to a, a 900 people escaped to Masada, a, a mountain over on the uh, eastern part of Israel in a desert place where Herod the Great eventually made it for himself, but he'd already died. And so by that time in 70 AD, they get 900 people got up here. It was almost impregnable place, and it was impregnable. And yet Rome said, nobody's going to escape from us, and they build a wall. They went over to Masada, and they, you'll see the wall. You people are getting ready to go there. And they build a wall all the way around Masada so not one person would escape alive. And then they took Jews and made them build a rampart against their own people and finally build a, build a rampart. You know, rampart is a sloping road up to Masada. It took a massive amount of material, all hand carried. And they, for months and months, they were doing it. And finally, they reached a place where they could breach the walls. And in the meantime, those 900 people committed suicide, a mass suicide, rather than be held in the Roman captivity. Jesus is looking at that. He's looking forward to that. There's going to be wars. There's going to be rumors of wars. There's going to be pestilences. He's looking at the Black Plague that killed 80% of Europe. He's looking at World War I. He's looking at the Civil War, World War I, World War II. He's looking at the, the other wars of the Medes, various Medes and Persian wars, just phenomenal things that were going to go on. Ahead of him, he says, there's going to come wars and rumors of wars, but the time of my coming is not yet. Not yet. Don't be terrified by it because it's not coming. He says, before all these things in verse 12, before all what things? Before all these signs, these wars and rumors of wars and this horror, earth history has been a, a history of war, really. He said, before all these, they shall lay, hold, they shall lay hands on you, that's born-again believers, and persecute you and deliver you up to the synagogues, into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Christian life, what was the, you know, you see the health and wealth people up there today, they're, they're preachers on, a, on the TV and evangelism and everything, they're going, oh, you live for Jesus and it's going to be healthy, it's going to be wealthy, he wants the best for you. Well, you explain that to all these martyrs. That he tells them, this is what's going to happen. Christian life is going to be tough. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require sacrifice. That's what he said. And then he says in verse 13, and it shall turn to you for a testimony. You're going to get to have a martyr's testimony. The word martyr, by the way, is a Greek word for witness. I want to be a witness for Christ. You could say it this way. I want to be a martyr for Christ. And so he says the verse I want to, want to emphasize, if you want to look at it, it's Luke chapter 21, verse 14. He says, Jesus' words, Settle it, therefore, in your hearts, not to meditate before ye shall answer. For I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. He says, get firm on who you are, who I am, and the sacrifice involved in being a Christian. Get it, get it good at firm. Settle it in your heart. Get it firm. Why? Because if you don't, you'll be double-minded. 
Take your Bibles, if you would, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. I'm going to read this. James chapter 1. And we're going to go verse, uh, oh, let's see, verses 5 through, I believe, 8. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any man like wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, for, and it shall be given him. Let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave that is sea driven of the wind and tossed. Now I want you to note verse 7 in James chapter 1. I'm going to do a little emphasis. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all these ways. If you don't put your hand on God's plow and make your mind up and settle it in your heart that whatever God brings your way, you're going to keep him number one. You're going to make the kingdom of God number one in your life. And I mean above everything else, you're going to make the, the you put your hands on the plow. You're not going to look back. You're going to keep looking forward because the things that are forward are going to be a lot better than the things behind whatever you've left. Be a whole lot better. He says, settle it. Because double-mindedness will destroy you. Double-minded heart, double-loyal heart, double uh, 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 nobody with a doubtful heart or a doubtful loyalty or doubtful dedication or doubtful commitment can ever be trusted to be used in God's service. God wants to see you didn't get saved just for you. You got saved for people around you. You got saved so you could be a witness of the dedication to Jesus so he through the Holy Spirit would, would go through you and give the gospel through you and people would be saved. You got a job to do. There's nobody in this auditorium or listening to this that doesn't have a job to do by God, go to the world, preach a gospel to every creature. It's our, it's our prime directive. It's our purpose for living is to be like Christ and to be a witness. That's why these guys that do this bus ministry get up early, go home late, do it in spite of whether it's good. Hey, we were doing the bus ministry when 250 people one time came, 250 kids came to church on eight buses. We had a period of, woo, they'll do it in season, and then they'll do it out of season when you're only bringing 19 or 16. Or Don't say only. When's the last time you brought 15 people to church? But, you know, they, the same Tom Gillespie used to bring 50 and 60 people. Nick Carbon used to bring 50 and 60 people to church Sunday after Sunday and Sunday. But they're doing it now. They're bringing 13, 12, 10. Don't make it nervous. Because it was right to do then, it's right to do now. The hands on the plow. I'm willing to serve you in season, out of season, good weather, bad weather, summertime, wintertime. Woo. The Bible explicitly commands single-mindedness and commitment for success. Don't you let yourself be double-minded in anything you do for God. Don't, don't you let it. I think of Elijah. The days of Elijah lived were tough days for Israel. The children of Israel basically had forsaken Jehovah and served this God called Balaam. And finally, he just had enough, and God moved him to challenge him, and he says, uh, he said in verse, uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal basically be God, then follow him. Amen? If the world's the way to live, 
Then go back to the world and live in it and wallow in it and do everything you got in the short period of time you got to live. But if it's not the way, then leave it and, and don't have your heart back there and your hands on the plow. Have your heart with God and your hands with God and be single-minded, settle your life that I'm going to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything I got's his. Everything I possess, all my the gifts, whatever you got, is they're God's. Hey, Amen. Glory, that's good. It's all God. I'm thinking Moses coming down from the mount. He'd been with God for 40 days and 40 nights. He'd been with God so, so much that the, the, his face shone, the Bible said. And uh, he comes down. He's got two tablets. Now, how would you like to be carrying two tablets that God himself, the finger of God, wrote on both sides of the tablets, or two tablets he wrote on both sides of the tablets, the Ten Commandments? Here he's got this really wonderful gift from God for his people. The Ten Commandments summarize the law of God. So he's coming down, and him and him and Joshua are coming down after being gone for about 40 days, and they hear, they hear some sort of ruckus going on. And, and Joshua says, there's a sound of war in the camp. And John Moses goes, no, that's the sound of a honky-tonk. That's the sound of music and dancing I hear. And so obviously you're not real happy when people celebrate when you're gone, right? So he comes down with the two tablets, and of course you know the story, most of you, that there was wicked, vile, they were, they were naked, they were, they were, they were immoral, they were, it, was an, it was an orgy. And he threw the tablets down, broke the tablets that God had given him, came down, and I want to, want to emphasize one thing in Exodus chapter 32, 26, he said, who is on the Lord's side? Let him come to me. Who showed up? The Levi, Levi showed up. Levi said, I'm on your side. He said, put your sword on, go from brother to brother. And they slayed, they slew, I should say, 3,000 of their own brothers. They were embarrassing themselves before God. Who's on the Lord's side this morning? How long you halt between two opinions? When you put your hands on the plow, don't look back. All saying the same thing. If you're a born-again believer, decide whose side you're on. You know why a lot of times young people that profess to be Christians, a lot of teenage kids and people, why they are miserable? They're just miserable. I know why. I've been there. Because they got one foot in the world, one foot with the things of God. They want to go to heaven. They, want, they believe Jesus was the Christ, Son of the living God. They want to go to heaven. They want the things of God. They all look right. But then the things of the world, you know, appeal to them and the, and the immorality and all the things that are going on, the excitement of the world, and woo, and they want to put one foot over here and one foot. I think I can do this. I think I can do this. My mom used to say, my mother had some interesting wisdom. My mother used to say, you can't walk on the fence, son. You're going to have to go one side or the other, or you're going to be straddling that. I heard a video I saw the other day. Some old black woman told her son, if the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. I like that. If the mountain was smooth, son, you couldn't climb it. God's made things rough. 
but because you can climb. If you made things smooth, you're not going to learn what you need to learn before you get here to heaven. Hey, every trial that comes your way is God kissing you on the cheek. As a born-again believer, he's kissing you on the cheek. He said, learn the lesson of this trial. Learn the lesson of this tribulation. Learn the lesson of this denial. Learn it so that you have an eternity to have be rewarded for the wisdom that you receive from me. How long will you hold between two opinions? Who's on the Lord's side? Is your hand on the plow? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, said, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ merits. The word conversation in the Bible is your way of life. It's not just what you speak. Even though by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 12, I think it's 35, 37. That's a real big deal. What you say, every idle word you ever say, you're going to give an account of someday before God. Be careful what you say. Or if I would say it this way, say a lot of good things. Maybe a thousand good things about your husband, ladies. Man, that'd be good. If you could come up with 20, it wouldn't be too bad. I'm waiting for my, my card from my wife on uh, all, all the good things. Well, I'm not sure she's going to be able to get that together. But anyways... Uh, It says that whether I come and see you or whether be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The faith of the gospel merits our unity. I don't have to like you. You're my brother in Christ, sister in Christ. I don't have to like what, what you, the way you comb your hair, the way, but by the, by the grace of God, I'm commanded to strive with you and be, not strive against you, but be with you for the cause of Christ. Look, I, somebody wrote me, somebody wrote me, texted me this week, says, I'm, I'm, I'm getting used to thanking people for less than excellent work. Yeah. Yeah, because if you demand perfection, you're going to be lonely. You're going to be lonely. Man, we need to settle it. People sometimes struggle with church attendance, and that's, these are the easy things of being a Christian. Coming to church is easy compared to giving your life. And just settle it. Just settle it. No more Sunday morning arguments about whether you're going to go to church. No more personal debates whether you're going to read your Bible. No more discussion on you're going to dress modestly. You just settle it. You just say, this is it. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're just going to be this way. We're going to do the right thing. And don't look back. How long will we halt between two opinions? Who was on the Lord's side? Once you put your hands to the plow, don't look back. And remember Lot's wife. I leave you with four warnings from the Bible against half-heartedness, against partial obedience, against leaving your heart out of the kingdom of God that he's called you to be in. May the Lord help us understand it. Father, help us this morning. Give wisdom from above. 
I know you work through earthen vessels. It's been said about preaching, it's one sinner telling a bunch of sinners, we all need to get right with God. Father, oh, have mercy where I've ever had my heart to the place where I've looked back and longed for something that you saved me from. Lord Jesus, help us to be all one, one mind, one heart, striving together for the faith of Christ. There could be some here this morning without Jesus, their personal Savior. You've had... You've had the Holy Spirit convicting you. You know that if you died without Christ, you're going to have to answer for your sin. You believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Why don't you settle it today? Why don't you say, I'm going to trust Christ today? Some people maybe in this room maybe have been saved but never been baptized. You've been messing around with that thing for a while. Why don't you just say, I'm tired of messing around. I'm going to get baptized. Jesus got baptized. The apostles got baptized. Everybody in the book of Acts got baptized. I'm going to join them. I'm going to join the happy throng. You say, I've been struggling about coming to the church. I hit and miss, miss, come, don't do. Why don't you just throw a stake down in the ground with a hammer, a sledgehammer, and hammer that thing down the ground and say, the devil's not going to pull me off of this unless I'm too sick to get up and get out, unless something's wrong with me, unless there's a national emergency, a hurricane tore the church down. I'm going to church. Because I believe the preaching of the Bible is God's way to reach me. It's the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Help us, Father. Forgive us for double-mindedness. Forgive us for halting between two opinions. Help us to be on the Lord's side. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.